Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 17. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem the righteous. Sorry, wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you will not believe, even if you were told. For I am raising the people of Babylon, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are feared and a dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry, their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert. Wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Our great God, as we now begin this new sermon series and as we look at the message of Habakkuk, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, that we would be able to understand this message, but more than that, that we would be able to see Jesus, that we would be able to be equipped by what we encounter here so that we can live in this world trusting you even when life is hard. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, starting today and for the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at the message of Habakkuk. And here's why. The overarching question that is going to guide our time these next few weeks is, how do you trust God when life is hard? Now, for Habakkuk, life was very hard. He lived and experienced his world at a time of intense suffering. And what we see in this book is a person who's wrestling with how what he believes about God fits together with what he's experiencing in his life. 
How do you reconcile what you believe with what you're experiencing? That's what Habakkuk was trying to do. And we need the message of Habakkuk because life is hard. For many of us, there are philosophical questions connected to hardship and suffering. For some of you, as you experience suffering in the world or in your own life, it makes you ask questions like, how could there be a God when there's so much evil out there? Why would a all-powerful and loving God allow such suffering and injustice to exist in the world? And so philosophical questions about God's existence. But for others, and for many of you I know, the reality of suffering raises very personal questions. Does God care about me? Why is this happening to me? If God loves me, why doesn't he fix this? I've been asking and I've been praying for so long. Why doesn't God do something? And what I love about the message of Habakkuk is that's where he was, philosophically and personally wrestling with suffering. And in this book, we see a person who faces suffering well while avoiding cliches and simplistic answers. And most importantly, as he wrestles with his own suffering, he experiences a God who is far more gentle and gracious than he could have ever imagined. And so as we go through the next few weeks, it's my hope and prayer that this letter, this story, would enable us both to be more equipped as we face our suffering, but also to better know God, who is far more gracious and gentle than we could have ever imagined. And so, today we start in chapter 1. And this is the beginning of Habakkuk's message, and as we look at the verses that were just read, there are three things that I want to show you. First, we'll see hard questions that Habakkuk asks. Second, we're going to see a spiritual discipline that we all need. And then finally, a hope to anchor ourselves in. So hard questions, a spiritual discipline, and the hope that we need. So first, hard questions. Now, in order to understand the message of Habakkuk, we have to understand the history, the contextual background. This message is rooted in history. And so here's what's happening. Habakkuk is a prophet. His job is to help his people, the nation of Israel, know who God is and follow God. But Habakkuk, as he's doing his job, as he's giving himself to his mission in life, he is saddened and he is grieving. He's experiencing suffering because the nation of Israel at that time was, for the most part, turning away from God, not following God, living as if God didn't matter. His word wasn't the priority. And so here's Habakkuk trying to help people know God, but it's not working and it's causing him an identity crisis, a kind of suffering. So in verse 2, in verse 3 of the passage, Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Cry out violence, but you don't save. Habakkuk is asking the question, how long? And friends, this is where suffering always starts. This is the first thing that we have to see. When Habakkuk starts suffering, he's questioning God's inactivity. He's saying, how long? God, if you're out there, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you intervening? Why are you being so passive? And that's always where our experience with suffering starts. 
a recognition that God could do something, but he's not. And have you noticed that in moments in your life when everything seems like it's falling apart, why is it that oftentimes in those moments, God feels farthest away? He's inactive, and that's where Habakkuk was. And if you've had seasons of suffering, you've probably felt that too. The inactivity of God is the first problem that suffering raises. I remember I was about eight years old, and my dad was in a really, really bad single car accident. He didn't die, but he almost did. And to this day, he suffers physically and mentally from that accident. And after a few weeks, I was finally allowed to go visit him in the hospital. And after seeing him there, I remember going home and talking to my mom and basically saying, how could God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? Now, I wasn't particularly religious and I didn't have a lot of training, but I knew that it was God's fault. I knew that God could have done something, but didn't. And that's what suffering does. It causes us to feel like God's inactivity is the reason for all the challenges that we're experiencing. And this wrestling that I had is not unique. But people who are religious and people who are irreligious have been wrestling with God's inactivity for as long as the world has existed. C.S. Lewis, who watched his wife die of cancer, wrote a little book to help process his grief, what he called those mad midnight moments when you can't sleep and you're all alone. And as he was watching his wife die, and then she did die, he wrote a little book processing his grief and his suffering. And at one spot early in the book, he writes this down. He says, meanwhile, where is God? When you're happy, you turn to him with gratitude and with praise, and you will be, or at least it feels, welcomed with open arms. But you go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, only silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Why is he so ever-present a commander in our time of prosperity and yet so absent a help in our time of trouble? And that's where Habakkuk was. Maybe that's where you are today. You're suffering, there's hardship, and God feels distant. He feels inactive. And that's where it started for Habakkuk. That's the first thing he says. But now as we come back to our passage in verse 5, God finally responds. God says something to Habakkuk who's knocking on the door and he's crying out. How long is it going to be like this? God finally answers and speaks to him. But listen to what God says. This is verse 5 and 6. I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if it were told to you. God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And the passage goes on to describe that God is going to use the Babylonians as the instruments of his justice. Remember, Habakkuk is saying, Israel is forsaking you. Israel is not honoring you. Do something. And God says, okay, I will. And he says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And when Habakkuk hears that, he's stunned. He's shocked. And now he's not just sad, now he's confused. Because the Babylonians, historically, not only were they not followers of God, but they were a wicked, violent, conquering people. 
They showed no mercy on any of the people around them. And now God is saying to Habakkuk, who's already suffering and who's already wondering, God, what are you doing? Now God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to use the Babylonians as the instruments of my justice. And so at this point, Habakkuk, he can't can't compute the information that he's receiving. He doesn't understand what God is doing. It starts for Habakkuk with finding God to be inactive. But now God's ways are inexplicable. He can't make sense of what's happening in his life. He can't make sense of what God is up to. And so he says in verses 12 and 13, Lord, are you not from everlasting? You're the Holy One. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is saying, in effect, the punishment is worse than the crime. God, what are you doing? I mean, I was bothered by your inactivity, but now you've responded and the situation is worse. Now you've given me a reply and you've made my life harder and more confusing. Not only was God's ways first troubling because he was inactive, but now he's inexplicable. A God that we cannot understand. And so here's Habakkuk trying to wrestle and make sense of what he believes and how it fits together with what he's experiencing. Now, that's where Habakkuk was. That's his state of mind. That's his life experience in chapter one. And for a moment, I just want you to ask or to think about, can you identify with Habakkuk? When you look back at the chapter, his questions basically boil down to two things. How long is it gonna be like this? And God, why are you doing what you're doing? How long and why? And when you're in a season of suffering, those are often the questions. Yeah, our suffering is different than Habakkuk's. But the sources of suffering and the questions we ask are often the same. If God is out there, why isn't he intervening? And how long is it going to go on like this? That's where Habakkuk was. And now we come to point two of our sermon. We're going to learn about a spiritual discipline that we all need. But here's what's important. If you're like me, you get really uncomfortable with problems hanging out in the air. I love solutions. I love fixing things. So when I read chapter one and I hear Habakkuk asking all these questions and every time God replies, he only makes the situation harder, I go, all right, give me chapter two because I need to know how this is gonna get solved and fixed. I want solutions. But we have to sit with Habakkuk in chapter one. We can't rush too fast. And the reason why is because if we sit here with him in chapter one, we learn something that's essential for spiritual life. And it's absolutely essential if we're going to be people who handle suffering well. And so as uncomfortable as it is to sit with a person who's watching God's activity in the world and saying, this makes no sense to me, Only by sitting patiently with him do we learn this invaluable lesson and ultimately a spiritual discipline that we need. So let me show you two things that we learn by sitting with Habakkuk in his season of suffering as he's wrestling with God. The first thing we learn is that God is far more gracious and gentle than we could have ever imagined. Here's what I need you to see. Here's Habakkuk in chapter one and he's basically saying to God, what on earth are you doing? You're making no sense to me. 
Habakkuk is actually taking a pretty aggressive, even accusatory tone. And he's saying to God, you're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be righteous. But what I see in the world doesn't square with that. What are you doing? And notice how God replies. God is gentle. God isn't angry with Habakkuk. God never in the book of Habakkuk says, you're a mere mortal, I'm God, how dare you question me? He never does that. But what you actually see as you read this story is the more intense Habakkuk's suffering is, the more gentle and gracious God is towards him. And so the first thing you need to know that I need to remember in our seasons of suffering is that God can handle your hard questions. It's safe, even encouraged, for us to run to God with our doubt and with our frustration, with our confusion. To say to him, what are you up to and what are you doing? And to know that as you bring that, he is gentle and he's kind. That's the first thing we see. And the second thing that we learn as we sit here with Habakkuk in chapter 1 is a spiritual discipline that we all need. A tool, you might say. That when it's part of your life, you're equipped to handle suffering with a lot more poise and a lot more grace. And what is that spiritual discipline? Well, as we look at chapter 1, we actually learn that the very form of Habakkuk's words, it's a lament. Chapter 1 is a prayer of lament. And that is the spiritual discipline. Lament is the spiritual discipline that we need as a tool if we're going to be people who handle suffering well. Lament is a spiritual resource, it's a spiritual practice that for all of time the people of God have used when they realize that their world is not as it should be. The practice of lament is absolutely essential. Brenda Salter McNeil in her book Becoming Brave says the church needs to recover the practice of lament because it's only in lament that we make space for grieving and mourning. Lament is the vocabulary of suffering. And so what we see here in chapter 1 is Habakkuk is saying, how long and why are you acting this way? He's lamenting. And that's the tool that we need if we're going to be a people that suffer well, whether it's personally or with others in community. So let me show you as we look at this chapter three things that we can learn about the practice of lament. The first thing we need to know is lament always starts with honesty. Lament always starts with honesty. Habakkuk is not sugarcoating his language. He's not saying, you know, God, you know, I know you know what you're doing, but I just want to point out that life's been harder than I. He's raw. He's aggressive. He's not fluffing his language to make it sound nice and spiritual. He's coming to God with honesty and with rawness and with intensity. And the first thing we need to know about lament is real lament always starts with honesty. It starts with saying to God, <laughs> you're driving me insane. Or I don't understand what you're doing. Or when you act, it only feels like things are getting worse. In other words, it's putting into words what you're really feeling, not what you think you should say. There is sometimes, and I don't know where it comes from, but there's sometimes in the church or in Christian circles this idea that we have to sound spiritual and we have to sound like we're putting everything well together in our life and, and that we're not doubting, we don't have any questions. 
But that's not the language of Scripture. The language of Scripture is honesty and lament. So it starts in honesty. But the second thing we learn about lament is it's actually a cry to God. Nicholas Walterstorff, who was a philosopher at Yale for many years, says that the difference between just voicing suffering and lament is that lament is always a cry to God. It's a prayer. You see, anyone can voice suffering, and voicing suffering is often very good. It's helpful. We need to be able to speak out what we're feeling. But what makes lament lament is that it's a prayer. You're actually going to God with your burden. So this is hard, I know, it's hard for me. But are you angry at God? Tell him about it. Are you really frustrated about what's happening in your life? Yell to God about it or weep to God about it. See, what makes lament lament is that you bring it to God. And I know that's hard when God feels far away, but that's the essence of the spiritual discipline. Habakkuk is frustrated, he's confused, he's filled with fear, and he's running to God to tell him about it. And that's where lament culminates. If it starts with honesty, it culminates in prayer. It's a kind of prayer. And the third thing we learn about lament is that we're to practice lament in community. Lament lives in community. Now you say, well, this is just Habakkuk here in his book. Well, that's true. And of course, there's a personal element to it. But the very fact that this book is written down in part of scripture means that it was a resource for the people of God in community. And so my hope and my prayer for us as a church is that we would be a community where it's safe for us to lament. That when people come to church or when they show up at small group, it's safe for us to say, you know, I'm really struggling with God today. And that when you say that, that person feels safe, they don't feel judged, they feel accepted that we're a community where it's safe to lament together and to process honestly whatever it is that we're going through and experiencing. So that's the practice of lament. More we could say, but as a start, when we look at chapter one, it starts with honesty, it culminates a prayer, and it lives in community. The spiritual practice of lament. But that leads us now to the third and the final point of our sermon. Is there any hope to anchor us? Because, and I've already alluded to this, But I personally struggle very much with the practice of lament. And the reason for that is this. I don't like things being broken. I don't like things being messy. I want to fix things and I want there to be solutions. Lament scares me because it's raw and the future is uncertain. And so the question that I need to have answered is, as I lament, as I risk voicing my hurt to others and to God, Is there any hope to anchor my soul? Is there any promise or is there any assurance that I'll know even in lament I'm safe? And the answer is yes, there is hope. Not just in the practice of lament, but in the person who lamented for us. That's the ultimate hope that we need. Not just the practice of lament, but the person who lamented for us. Psalm 22 is probably the most famous lament in all the Bible. It's also a prayer. And I want to read to you the first two verses of Psalm 22. The author writing says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? 
Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Why have you forsaken me? It's a prayer of lament, and, and that language is very familiar to us now after reading Habakkuk 1. Why are you far away? Why don't you help? Why have you forsaken me? But friends, here's what we need to see. The Lord Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he prayed Psalm 22. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, lamented. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus laments. Do you you realize how unique Christianity is as a world religion? Christianity teaches that the way salvation comes into the world is through a Savior who suffers and laments. And that's how God can be gracious and gentle to you. You see, when you come to God and you ask hard questions, God will be gracious. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus also asked hard questions. But instead of getting gentleness, he was forsaken. On the cross, Jesus was dying in your place, and for your sin. And that's one of the ways that we can trust God even when life is hard. You see, Habakkuk, even here in chapter 1, you get a clue of it. But as Habakkuk is trying to make sense of his suffering, as he's trying to make sense of what's happening in his life, he's basically thinking out loud and he's saying, God is doing all these things, but I know he's holy. I know he's my rock. I know he's righteous. And what he's trying to do is basically saying, I know that God is good. How does that fit together with what I'm experiencing? I know you're good, but I don't know what you're up to. I don't understand what you're doing. And how can you know that God is good? How can you trust him? Even when your life is hard and even following apart. And the answer is by looking to the cross. By seeing Jesus who lamented for you. You see, the cross does not tell us that we'll never suffer. But it does tell us that we're not alone in our suffering. The cross of Jesus, his lament, is the ultimate example that God is good. He isn't distant. He came into our world to suffer in our place. And so we can know because Jesus was forsaken, even in our hardest and darkest moments, we won't be. But we have a God who will meet us with gentleness and grace even when we don't understand what he's up to. You see, our salvation comes from a Savior who lamented for us. That's the hope that you need. That's the anchor for our souls. And so, we can be a community who laments. We can be a community who runs to God with honesty and with rawness, who says to God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't understand, but I can trust you. Not because my my life makes sense, but because of what I've seen on the cross. It's Jesus, our Savior, who's the hope for our souls. He's the one, because he lamented, that makes sense of our lament. So let's be a community that, as we look to Jesus, is able to grow in our ability to bring whatever we have, whatever we're experiencing to God, and know that he'll meet us in grace because of Jesus. Let's pray as we do that now in response. Our God, we thank you for Habakkuk chapter 1, and we thank you for the rawness, the honesty, the the lament that Habakkuk sets before us. 
And we thank you that in Jesus, we have a God who lamented for us. We have one who suffered on our behalf. Not to take away all of our suffering, but to know, to help us know that we're never alone in it. So please now as we respond, as we sing, and as we process, and as we pray, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be a community that both laments well and rests in Jesus. We ask all this in his name, praying together. Amen.